Hello, everyone. This is People to People. The phone lines are open, and we're ready to hear from you. If you have a Bible question or a life issue you'd like to discuss, call now at 1-800-677-9377. That's toll-free in the U.S. and in Canada, 1-800-677-9377. We welcome you to People to People, everybody. Contrary to what we said at the opening of the broadcast, the phone lines will not be open today, although this is a live broadcast. And we're glad that you've joined us. My name is Bob Davis. I'm here with Bob Christopher and Richard Piper. Frank is on the broadcast with us today, and we want to welcome you, Frank. It's an honor to be here. Thanks so much. Well, Frank, you're, you're on today. Uh, we want to talk about uh, your new book, uh, Jesus, A Theography. Um, I, I've just always been fascinated by your fascination with Jesus. Uh, you and Lynn Sweet had a book. Uh, that was written several years ago called the Jesus Manifesto, uh, where you really focused on the person of Christ Jesus. And, and in this particular book, you're just taking that uh, a step further, aren't you? We are. We're putting the microscope on one point. We hammered away at uh, Jesus Manifesto, which came out in 2010. And that point is that Jesus Christ is the summation and the central figure of all scripture, not just the New Testament, but the Old Testament as well. And so we take that point and we unravel it in 400 pages in this new book. It was very difficult to write, but it was at the same time it was a joy to write, uh, especially a joy to finish. <laughs> <laughs> but when you look back on it, for us as the authors and the readers are echoing this, it is a titanic unveiling of Christ from Genesis all the way to the genuine leather in the back of the Bible. And uh, we try to reveal him and show him as the central actor, character, all throughout the Bible. Well, let me ask this, this Frank. I mean, there's, there's thousands of books out there on Jesus. Uh, what was the compelling reason um, to write this one? especially after you all had written Jesus' manifesto. What, yeah. what moved yeah. you guys to write this and say there's a need for something even bigger than what we've, what we've done in the past? Well, a couple things, and, and that's an excellent question, by the way, and uh, I've not been asked it yet, so I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to trying to see what I'm going to have to say about it. <laughs> um, but first of all, uh, when people read Jesus' manifesto, so many folks resonated with that. Our, our main point there is that we've missed the main point. And that point is a person. It's not even a point, as it were. So it's a little book. It's a small book, a quick read, and um, people were asking for more. That was part of it. The other motivation is that both Leonard and I have been studying the life of Christ for many, many years, both from uh, the perspective of New Testament scholars, which get into the history of the first century and Jewish culture and how that throws light on the life of Christ uh, when he lived his earthly life, but also from the perspective of the theologians who kind of look at the big picture and see Jesus through all the scriptures, uh, what is known as Christology, you know, the theology of Jesus. We both felt that there has yet to be a book that brings those two elements together. The New Testament scholars, which kind of take the very fine, uh, microscopic look at Jesus in history and, and go into the first century and uh, unravel that and see how that throws new uh, light on the New Testament. 
and the theologians who look at the history of the church and who look at the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation and try to get the big theme. So we felt like there needed to be a book that brought those two threads together. And that's what we have done in this book. Another thing that's missing in most biographies of Jesus is that they all start out with Bethlehem. They all begin with his birth in Bethlehem, and that's the point of origin uh, for his life. We, on the other hand, begin where John begins, and that is, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we have an entire chapter entitled, Christ Before Time. And what is fascinating about that chapter, Bob, is that there is so much in the New Testament that tells us what God was doing in Christ before he ever said, let, let there be light. And we miss it because, you know, the Bible is a big book. There's an awful lot in it. But we take all the scriptures in the New Testament and that are prefigured also in the Old Testament, and we put them all together, and we tell the story of Jesus in his pre-incarnate state as the eternal son. We tell that story before time and creation, and it is fascinating. Well, one of the passages that you address is a conversation that Jesus is having with the Pharisees, and he ends that with with saying, before Abraham was, I am. And I'm sure the Pharisees started scratching their heads and saying, what in the world is this guy talking about? Uh, but, <laughs> but that's a part of the Jesus story, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And there's one text where he throws light on what was going on before he came to the earth. Uh, and it's interesting, too, we bring this out in the book. He didn't say, before Abraham was, I was. He says, before Abraham was, I am. And uh, if you read the Gospel of John carefully, he uses those two words over and over again. I am, I am, I am. (laughs) And that is a reference to the Old Testament where God says, I am the I am. Yes. And uh, so we get into that as well. Well, one of the things I I think the introduction uh, to the book is is worth the money uh, just in itself. I think you set the stage brilliantly in that in that particular uh, chapter in, in telling people exactly what what the Bible is. And I'll just read uh, you know a brief sentence from the very first page. The Bible is often viewed as a disjointed array of stories, events, laws, propositions, truths, ethical statements, and moral lessons. And, and I think uh, most every person out there, if asked to describe the Bible, they might pick one of those particular words out of that list. But in doing so, they would be wrong, wouldn't they? Yeah, they really would. I mean, in one sense, they would be correct because the Bible does include all those things. But in another sense, it would not be correct. Or I would say it's correct, but it's not complete. Because when we talk about what the Bible is really about, it's about a story. It's telling a story. And it's telling a story in the span of all of those books, both Old and New Testament. And that story has one core narrative. And that narrative is about a person. And that person is Jesus of Nazareth. And one of the things we say in the book is that for so long we have separated the two testaments we go into the origin of where the Old Testament, quote-unquote, came into being and who first used it and where it came from, as well as the New Testament. But what we show in the book is that these are Act 1 and Act 2 of the same drama. 
And throughout the book, we call the Old Testament the First Testament, and we call the New Testament the Second Testament, because we want people to understand that this is not a matter of old and new. This is just a matter of Act One and Act Two, and they go together. And one of the most exciting parts of writing this book, and I think for the reader as well, is to see all of the dots connected from the First Testament to the Second Testament. And that in the Old Testament, Jesus is foreshadowed. I mean, in living color, though, not just a few prophecies here and there. I mean, he's on every page. (laughs) He's in Genesis 1 and 2. We have uh, two chapters dedicated to Genesis 1 and 2. And we show Christ there, foreshadowed and alluded to in illusions and imagery and symbols. And then we go to the New Testament, and that's the revealing, that's the reality of Jesus when he shows up in the incarnation. And everything that has been said about him before not only is fulfilled, but it's replayed. And so what you find in this story that the Bible tells, it is a replaying over and over again of the same narrative. And that narrative finds its fulfillment and its reality in this person, Jesus. Yes, it really is incredible. Well, I, I think your main, the main verse, at least the verse on the on the back cover, is the scriptures point to me, John five thirty nine, and certainly Jesus uh, on the with the disciples on the road to Emmaus uh, went through the writings of of the law and the prophets and and, and the and the wisdom books and and, and enlightened them to uh, the real story there that those were the scriptures that were speaking about him. And uh, we've said so many times through our ministry, and it's one of the foundational uh, kind of principles or, 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 or truths that we discuss, is that the Word of God really is God's testimony concerning His Son. And when mm-hmm. God speaks to man, it is through Jesus. Uh, yeah. Jesus is God's Word to man, is God's final Word to man. And uh, as as he said at the Transfiguration, this is my son, listen to him. Uh, that's what God wants from each and every one of us, to have our eyes open to the reality of Christ, the reality of his work, and to listen to him in this abiding trust relationship. And I think that's one of the things that is missing. We cannot conjure up love for the Lord. This is the mistake that many preachers make, uh, and that is to try to guilt God's people into loving God and, and into obeying God. You know, one, one of the things we said in Jesus' manifesto is that so many preachers today need a travel agent to handle all the guilt trips they put on God's people. <laughs> but that's an easy tool to pick up. You know, guilt is is the greatest motivator of the human being. It's It's even greater than fear. It's greater than sex. It's greater than money. It is the primary motivation to get a human being to do something, uh, guilt. What we find in the New Testament, in the way that the apostles proclaim Christ, Paul and the other apostles, when they revealed Christ, when they preached Christ, and as Paul, quote-unquote, uncorked the revelation of Jesus in the book of Colossians, for example, they were not laying guilt on God's people. Instead, they were pulling back the curtain and they were showing God's people how glorious Jesus of Nazareth really is. And the result of that is it awakened love in their hearts to the hearers. It awakened love in the hearts of the hearers. 
And so that obedience came naturally. Obedience came out of the drive of this vision of this glorious Christ, and there was no hint of guilt in it. So what we try to do in this book, by showing Christ all throughout Scripture, in Moses, in the prophets, and in the writings, to quote Jesus himself in Luke 24, which is the whole Old Testament, we get to see that Jesus is so much greater, he's so much larger, he's so much more glorious, he's so much more intriguing, he's even so much more surprising than most of us have imagined. It gets to this phrase in the in the New Testament that Paul uses, the unsearchable riches of Christ. You cannot wear him out, you cannot exhaust him. He's unfathomable. So this is another thing we're trying to do in the book as we tell the Jesus story. It is so much richer and robust than most of us have ever heard. How does it work uh, for two people to write a book together? Is there is there conflict? Is it all just uh, you know joy and wonderful things? <laughs> <laughs> how, how do you go about writing a book book together? Do you divide up uh, you know the chapters, or, or how does that work, Frank? I recently wrote an article for uh, another blog entitled "Co-authoring the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly." in which I kind of uh, state the the experience of of what I've learned so far about co-authoring. I did a a book back in 2008 with uh, George Barna, and uh, and then this one with Leonard Sweet, which follows another one we've done together. A lot of this depends on the compatibility you have with your co-author in both your viewpoint but also your writing pace. And when it comes to viewpoint, Len Sweet and I, at least on the topics we've written about, our, our viewpoint is very, very close, identical in many places and just a hair off in other places. So Jesus' manifesto and uh, Jesus' of theography were joined at the hip. But when it comes to writing pace, we are the odd couple. He and I are very different. I am a plotter, which means I like to write a little bit each day plodding along until, you know, many days go by and you look back and you have a book. Uh, Len is a binger. Uh, You know, we think of uh, people who cram at the last minute for finals when they're in college. Well, that's what Len does. He waits to the very last minute (laughs) and then he binges uh, and writes like a firestorm. The interesting thing about this book is that um, we had over a year to do it, and it's formidable. I mean, when readers pick it up and look through it, I mean, we're talking 424 pages, over 1,800 endnotes. There's a titanic amount of research we did for the book. And then add to that the writing of it. Uh, we had over a year. But because he's a binger and I'm a plotter and we're not on the same page on that, it was fairly frustrating to get us coordinated. And so what ended up happening was we wrote 90% of the book in six weeks. Wow. We wrote over Christmas. We had to turn it in January 15th, so we worked over Christmas. The short of it is if you get a plotter and a binger together to co-write a book, the binger is going to win. So so the plotter has to turn into a binger. So we did it, and um, you know, I would have liked to have worked on it longer. And well, we'll let the readers decide if, if we were able to pull it off to be a, you know, a successful book or not. To answer your other question is we just got together uh, at the very beginning of the project, wrote a, a tentative table of contents, 
and then decided who would write what. And, of course, that evolved and changed and took a different shape as we got into it, but that's how we started. Yeah, well, I'm sure that was a fascinating uh, process, and as you look back, you, you look back at it fondly and uh, maybe with the idea that something like that could happen again. So uh, I think that's that's fantastic. Well, again, the... Uh, I guess the the theme of this particular book is is Jesus, uh, the fact that he is the storyline of the Word of God. Uh, how does that help as as far as interpretation of the Bible is concerned? What are some of the other ways that you can look at the Bible and try to interpret it? And how does this uh, key uh, really unlock it in the way that it's supposed to be read? Well, I think what happens is, you know, whatever tradition you're brought up in, uh, in the Christian faith, you adopt their hermeneutic, which basically is their method of interpretation. And so, you know, there's various methods of interpretation, and some interpret more literally than others, and some interpret the Old Testament differently than others, and on and on. And I'm sure you've covered some of these things in your broadcasts in the past, the end result is that it leads to a myriad of different interpretations on the same document by Christians. This is even true among conservative Christians. If you're a conservative evangelical, even within that tribe, there are thousands of different interpretations on different biblical texts. And uh, this is one of the reasons why liturgical traditions like Catholics and Orthodox Episcopalians and Anglicans point the finger at Protestants and they say, you guys are all over the map. You don't have one way of interpreting the Bible and hence you have, you know, 33 plus thousand denominations and the reason is because you're not getting a central authority to tell you what the Bible says. We challenge that, but on the other hand, there is a point to be made about this. And what we have discovered and what we point out in the book, and we'll talk more about it later, I think, but um, just just to kind of end this uh, first question is, if we interpret the Bible the way that the first century writers of Scripture, the New Testament authors, interpreted the Bible, if we can figure out what that hermeneutical key is, that method of interpretation that they used, and apply it the same way, then A, we will understand the Bible the way it's supposed to be understood, and B, we won't have all these differing interpretations all over the map in the Christian faith. We really will come to a common understanding of what Scripture says and means. And in many ways, that's exciting. Well, I, I think it's just uh, exhilarating to, to think that uh, folks from various backgrounds, diverse backgrounds, uh, can come to the Word of God, can realize that it is God's testimony concerning His Son, and that can come to a unity of mind and spirit and purpose as far as what the Bible is communicating to us. Uh, I, I think that's the mystery uh, of the body of Christ. Uh, when you look back at the early church and realize that it was made up of Jew and Samaritan and Gentile, three people groups that despised each other, yet when they came together in Christ, they stood as one. And I think that is just absolutely fascinating. And But it's not something that's just in Bible land. It's something that's available to all of us if we will just stand in unity around the person and work of Jesus Christ. Absolutely, absolutely. And this doesn't ensure that we're going to come to the same 
identical understanding of every verse and every phrase and every word, but the core narrative, the main passages, what the Bible is trying to communicate from beginning to end, you know, there is a way that we can come to understand that the same way. And that's what we try to unravel in this book. But I think it really is, you know, worth noting that this is not just a book about trying to understand who Jesus is in a deeper and a greater way, but also how to understand our Bibles, especially for us who are in the Protestant faith, because this is a real problem, and and I'm sure you've seen it too. You know, Christians can get real nasty over the way they interpret the Bible, nasty to one another, unfortunately. (laughs) Absolutely. And it seems, Frank, that 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 nastiness stems from the, the question about, well, what are we supposed to do? You know, when we put ourselves into the equation and say, this is what is required of us, and then somebody else says, no, no, that's not required, this is required, and that's when all the all the fights, you know, start, and, and we just hammer each other, don't we? Absolutely, and, and where is Jesus Christ in all that conversation? He's somewhere left out in the cold. Absolutely. And yet the, the very text we're arguing about, if we understand them correctly, they all point to him. Hence the reason why we wrote this book and, and our core message in it. Well, well, Frank, why don't you just jump into kind of the the process that you and Lynn took of coming to this uh, conclusion, or and especially in your own life, how did how did you come to the conclusion that the Word of God is is God's testimony concerning His Son, that He is the hermeneutic, so to speak. Well, you know, this is not a novel idea for either Len or I. You know, both of us are very well read. And once in a while you stumble across various people. Usually they're no longer living <laughs> and their works are not very well known. And you see maybe it's a sentence, maybe it's just a, a, a paragraph where someone will make a statement and this person is still part of the body of Christ. The body of Christ has been here for 2,000 years. And all of a sudden it opens up a universe. It was like that for a lot of this, you know, what we put in the book. But in a nutshell, one of the staggering discoveries is that when you read the New Testament carefully and you look at how the New Testament authors quoted the Old Testament and the way they understood the Old Testament, is that, number one, they quoted from the same parts of the Old Testament consistently. That is to say that Peter and Paul and John and James all used the same texts in their writings that they drew from in the Old Testament, okay? Two, they weren't just a verse here, a verse there. They were whole swaths of portions of the Old Testament that they drew from. Number three, they pulled from those texts independently of one another they weren't reading one another they pulled from those texts they quoted those texts and they understood those texts the same exact way independent of one another okay so there was some kind of a hermeneutical key that they all shared independent of each other and when you have to ask the question it appears that someone gave them this hermeneutical key you know, because they all shared it independent of one another. They're all using the same passages that they're quoting in their writings. They all understand those passages the same way. You have to ask the question, who is the source of that method of interpretation? 
And this is where Luke helps us, that when Jesus, in his risen state, when he rose again from the dead, he met with his disciples, and he opened the scriptures to them, and he took them through the whole Old Testament, beginning from Moses, the scripture says, and the law, which is all the books of Moses, and the prophets, which include not only the prophets, but the kings and the chronicles, and the writings, which includes the Psalms and Solomon and Proverbs, etc. He revealed himself through all the scriptures, and their understanding was opened and their hearts burned within them. Jesus himself taught his disciples how to interpret the Old Testament. And that was passed on to Paul, and that was passed on to James, and it was passed on to John, who he was one of the twelve, of course. And it was passed on to Mark, and it was passed on to Matthew. Matthew was one of the disciples. And it was passed on to Luke, and that's the hermeneutical key. And what we do in the book is we point out how they interpreted the Old Testament in the light of Christ, and then we take that same method of interpretation on texts that the New Testament authors don't really mention, and we use the same method, and there again we see Jesus Christ in living color in 3D when we use that same method of interpretation. It is awesome. And we are out of time for this edition of People to People. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll be back for another live edition very soon. Bye-bye. We invite you to visit our website, realanswers.net, for complete information and resources to aid your spiritual growth. Cross-border listeners, click the international link when you visit realanswers.net.